Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello. Welcome to She Speaks It All. I have something to say, okay? I'm a little concerned, a little concerned because I've been doing this rewatch of Succession and Yellow Jackets, and I did not anticipate not liking Yellow Jackets. Like, I remembered liking Yellow Jackets. I remembered enjoying the first season and wanting more. I had some gripes, but maybe it's because I'm watching it in tandem with Succession that in comparison to Succession... It's kind of terrible. Like the writing just isn't very good. The And Ryan Bailey even says it. By the way, I got Ryan Bailey today to talk uh, succession with me. He says it when we were recording. Uh, and his thoughts on, on Yellow Jackets are spot on. It's just, it doesn't, succession is so special. And it's so kind of flawless, even though it is flawed. Don't get me wrong. But it's just a special. A masterpiece and yellow jackets is not but i don't mean to talk shit i love juliette lewis i love uh melanie love 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 so if you don't mind i'd like to stop for a bit recapping yellow jackets and maybe um just do a succession rewatch just stick with succession because I don't like hate recapping. I really don't. I mean, unless it's in just like that, because that show's so silly. But I think I'd like to live in a happy place here on the She's Rewatching series. Because um, she's rewatching, and I want to enjoy Succession and just talk good things about Succession. Yellow Jackets, hit me up on my Instagram, She Speaks It All Pod. And if you think you really, really want me to keep it, and keep adding it in, then message me. What I may do instead is just do like a recap of the whole se- of the rest of the season one um, with like a friend that watched it. I think that would be a little bit more jovial because at the end of the day, we got enough problems in this world. I don't need to. I don't need to sit here and talk shit about a show for half an hour. You know, and I can't seem to get anybody to record with me. Everyone will do succession, but almost no, I haven't had one person say they'll also do yellow jackets. So 
and by the, by everyone, I mean two people, Kaya and Ryan. Ryan, or I'm sorry, Kaya tried to watch Yellow Jackets, but she ended up watching the wrong episode. And she also didn't really have great things to say. Uh, but Ryan didn't even, he was like, I'll do Succession. And I, you know, I kind of think I know why, based on some stuff he said when you get into the Succession recap. So like I said, if you're super bummed about this, message me on She Speaks It All Pod and we will talk about some alternatives. But I think the way to go is to just do like a full season recap and let my rewatch series just be joy. Joy and 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 also sorrow because the show is over. But let me know. Let's let's talk about it. If you if you if you got feels, fe- give me the feels. Let me know. Let me know the feels over on She Speaks It All Pod. Hit me up in the DMs. But on that note, let's go to happy place, happy times. Ryan Bailey's here. Ryan Bailey is here to slay the Succession Episode 4 recap, honey. So I hope you enjoy. See you on the other side. Okay, wait, I thought I was done talking, but I have to give an audio disclaimer. I went to edit the episode and realized I had deleted my file that I record outside of Zoom. I had delete. I had, oh, I, what I did was I I overwrote it. I replaced it. So you're just gonna have to hear me with the like computer laptop microphone. I'm sorry. I tried to recover it, but it's I'm fucked up. So I apologize. I am blessed today because Ryan Bailey was willing to join me for today's rewatch series. He truly needs no introduction because you all already know him. But in case you do need a refresher, Ryan's podcast, So Bad It's Good, is truly one of the pop culture staples of our time. He sets the standard. (laughs) He pulls in top-notch (laughs) A-list guests, and he's become a bit of a celebrity in his own right. So now that I've made him a little uncomfortable saying all yeah. these nice things wow, about him, geez. please welcome back Mr. Ryan Bailey. <laughs> time to go. Time to go. Have a good day, Bye. you guys. That's, that Bye. wraps me up and that's my wow, time. That was, I, I don't usually, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for saying all of those nice things. That's huge. I had to, I had to because Ryan, you do the best intros for your guests. And having been introed by you, it really feels good, but like it's uncomfortable, but it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I do appreciate it somewhere and the other part of me that's not uncomfortable. I didn't really think about it when I first, you know, I always, one of the intros became like, it was just always from like watching talk shows and then also trying to, and then once you started, I started doing it, then I realized it was because I could do it easily without the guests there. But if I don't know the guests, especially, I think it it lets them know that it's going to be okay that i totally that i appreciate them being there and then also it lets the audience know you know obviously who they are but that that they're that they should be excited as well that that you know everybody has something to offer and i truly i i mean it, it gets me excited when i'm saying it too i don't really when i say it i don't really look at the guest in the when i'm doing yeah. it so it's it's always interesting then to hear the reaction um, afterwards. But yeah, like that was just from like talk shows. It's from like uh, everything, and 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 it truly mm-hmm. is so exciting what we get to do. And uh, yeah, but it, it is something that I've like weirdly become known for. Mm-hmm. And it is because one of the, it's one of those things where you like well you start off if you start off that strong there's no way to go but down. So like. It's like <laughs> 
you got to really make sure that then <laughs> you have other things that you can you can bring up because other than that you're just you're shot after the intro yeah you're like and that's it that's all i got yeah uh, exactly kind of. material yeah. what was your journey with succession were you a beginner like from day one watcher or did you kind of go back and no. revisit no, in fact, that's why I was so excited to do this. I mean, first of all, I love the show so much, but I didn't love the show initially. In fact, it wasn't even on my rotation at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It was my friend, Steve Salgado. I was, uh, he, I went to visit him in Richmond, Virginia with his wife and his twin girls. And I had not seen him in a long time. And for some reason, we didn't really do, like we went to like a museum, we went to like a, a brewery, but then he was like, I want you to watch Succession. <laughs> At this point, there have been like seven episodes, six episodes or seven episodes, seven or eight. I don't know. And uh, he's like, I want you to watch this. You know, when I well, actually now there, I think I watched the first episode and I couldn't get into it. And mm -hmm. I was like, ah, couldn't get yeah. into it. And uh, and I was fine with that. And then he said, no, I want to I want you to watch it. I want to make you watch it. Mm -hmm. And I watched the first episode with him. And again, I was like, ah. You know, uh, and then he was like, well, we're going to watch the second. Second one, the same way. Third one, the same way. And then the fourth one, it was around that, like, this episode that we're talking about was when yep. I started. You start to get the, you know, you get used to the characters, the vernacular, and then it all starts. You know, I, I use this as an example in the shows all the time now. In fact, I was talking about this with Kendrick with about Love Island, is that you need <laughs> to put put work into it. The thing is yes. that you have to convince people to put that work in because if you put yeah. that work in, the payoff is so immense, but it's hard to say you need to waste four hours of your life and yes. potentially you're not going to like it, but then then it's going to pay off in tenfold. And that's what it was like for me. So by the fourth episode, I think I loved it so much so that he went to bed and I kept watching mm -hmm. it. And then I think it was by the... Was it the bachelor party episode with Tom when they're, they're at the underground club and yeah. he's like, you know, I just kissed this girl and she spit this in my mouth. And like <laughs> I Greg, spit it back cousin, to her cousin Greg's like, wait, what? You know, and I was just like, this is genius. And then it was so nice going back to watch the fourth episode today because it's you're right, you're right back in there of the magnificence of it, but it just goes to show you with any kind of art, sometimes you have to give it a little time and a little mm -hmm. space. And then you can go back and appreciate it. I don't even know if that's what the creators intended. It's not a bad thing, but the one interesting thing about Succession is that some of the storylines throughout the seasons, I don't even know if I could tell you. You know, like I know the cruise yeah. ship and I know Holly Hunter came in and I know, you know, it's like it's a performance driven and it's dialogue driven, but at the same time, the plot is almost secondary mm -hmm. to performances and writing and human behavior, which is kind of the best compliment is because you could put these characters in any situation. And I would be really curious to how they would react to it. You're like, Oh, I'd love to see the succession cast deal with like the Cloverfield monster. Like the Cloverfield monster <laughs> comes to New York. How does the succession get like the, the storylines themselves? I mean, it is obviously fascinating that this is all based around, who's going to succeed the Brian Cox character. But at the same time, I find joy in it just with the performances and the writing. Absolutely. Totally agree. This episode is, it, it's when you start going back and watching, it's nice to see, it's impressive to see how they wove in so kind of subtly and perfectly without feeling like writing and, and establishing characters. They wove in 
dynamics and they rounded out the characters just so it like knowing how it ends and watching how they did it in season one I'm like I think they had a plan I think they knew exactly the direction they were going from the beginning it's kind of like Arrested Development oh well you told I mean that's a great I mean you can always say Arrested Development's the comedic version of Succession even Mm -hmm. though Succession is is so funny um but uh you know, they they did know where they were going and they didn't because at the same time, even with uh, Culkin's character, you know, he has a relationship mm-hmm. in this episode in particular, like, you know, these things really never pay off in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Some of these things, like the threads that they established in the first season, don't pay off don't like Mm -hmm. go anywhere by the fourth season you're not looking like hey where was that girl like i mean like culkin supposedly had kids in the the first episode episode, i was like he had children they just yeah that they're like no one will remember that's what an amazing thing to say like we're just gonna not even acknowledge it well the acting's so good and it it takes itself so seriously but i don't mean that at a i mean that as a compliment that you don't you're kind of like, well, they seem to really be believing what they're talking about. So I, I'm not going to really ding them on what happened to his family, even though it's like a gaping, you know, it's, it is it is something that is funny to watch back that you're looking at all of these things, you mm-hmm. know, or even Shiv's character, how many changes that Shiv mm-hmm. goes through, through this. I mean, there are elements to succession, even when it gets into the when she's working for the politician and stuff like, you know, Eric Bogosian, things mm-hmm. like that. But I was like, you know, not my favorite, but the dialogue is so amazing. I don't know. It's one of those shows though, that kept getting better and better for me. And then you, oh, yeah. look, you look back and you're like, Oh, it was, it was just that good all along. I think maybe I just started to appreciate things more as I watched it. Mm-hmm. One of the directors that did the, the episode where they go to essentially like, the compound of um what's the other network like the liberal network that they want to oh buy. Not, Pierce. Yeah, yeah 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 Pierce. that episode the director of that episode where they did that c- called them like a traveling theater troupe and it was such a perfect <laughs> a perfect explanation because it's like you're, it's more about seeing how they all interact in a group setting and how yeah. they all bounce off of each other and letting the actors kind of do their thing but also still controlling it and I think that's why it got better and better because like the yeah. more you have the dynamic, even though it's I, so many nightmare stories came out of like working on the show in terms of just Brian Cox being so, so difficult. Let's get into this episode, shall we? Yeah. So Logan is still very much recovering from his heart attack. He's doing the physical therapy. He's barely able to walk, but there is this big event, which I, when I watched it the first time, assumed that this was like some big charity event that like, I just didn't know about because I'm not uber rich, but it's actually completely made up for the show. The Roy Endowment Creative yeah. New York, known <laughs> yeah. as the Recne, and they offer funds and financial opportunities for the creative arts in New <laughs> York City. That is so on brand, rich, uber bullshit, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, that's, that's where we're all looking to go is to, to free dinners like this somewhere uh-huh. just giving awards given out to, you know, people that don't deserve them. That and, don't I mean, deserve is, them. <laughs> I mean, but this is, this is exactly like we like when reality television works, it takes you behind a certain mm-hmm. group of people that mm-hmm. you aren't, that you feel like you're getting a peek behind the curtain and you can notice similarities of like, we all breathe air and we all bleed, blah, blah, blah. But like the upper crust and like this, you know, they do such a good job of this world of billionaires and millionaires oh, yeah. and and what that is all like. And, and you feel like you're getting this peek behind the curtain and they do it so well. 
it's so sexy. Them just getting off private jets, hopping into yeah. cars, helicopters, like it's nothing. That's just what we do. Marsha is like, I don't care if you can't walk, get it together because you're going to this event. Marsha has become the savage. And she had so many great scenes in the, the towards the end of the fourth season. But I always just thought it was like, that's the that was one of the uh, the unbelievable things for me with the first season of like wait a sec this dude had a stroke heart attack whatever he's like close to dying and all of a sudden <laughs> in the fourth episode he's already out there he's uh-huh. like you know he had a little bit of a stroke she's like but then he gets rid of that and I, I was wondering if they were finding that on the day too of like just how sick is he and I mean it's an un- like he's pissing in the office at one point out on everything and I was like wow but but then at the same like, that's what I love. I love uh, that as audiences, we fill in those blanks. Like, you don't mm-hmm. have to tell us everything because we fill in those blanks. Like, in my head, I was like, of course, he's such a strong man. This is how he became a billionaire in the first place. It's like, he's going to do what he needs to do, you know, and that, so, you know, it almost didn't matter that I was like, of course he can get there. It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. He's an elephant. This Nobody can stop this guy. Yeah. And meanwhile, at the office, you got little Kendall who's prepping for his big speech because he's given this big speech and he tells Jess to get one of the SNL guys <laughs> to write a little bit for a speech. He had a great, there was a great thing in the third episode too, because he's like so connected. He tries to be so connected with the youth, you mm-hmm. know, like when Z-Way was on the show and like, you know, like we're going <laughs> to, we're going to do this and the Twitter and this, and like, he's really connected. And I, I love that about him. And that's, I do too. that's, it's another aspect of him, like the sadness about him of trying to be connected yes. to the worlds where, you know, when you're trying to be like a social media, anything, you know people realize the more you get into it it's more about disconnection than it ever is about connection you know totally jess is like yeah i'm not sure snl but um your dad is here (laughs) and it is it's so we just saw the man getting physical therapy barely able to walk a few steps and what do you mean he's in the whole yeah and his time logan's time in the office is just so chaotic and rest and reckless like at one point Kendall walks in, he's actually, and Logan's on the phone and he's like slurring and barely able to talk. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, who are you talking to? The president? Like China? Get off the phone. So- yeah. I, well, the Kendall things too, it's, it's another one of those. When I was watching the fourth episode, I was, it was a heartbreaking thing because we now know where Kendall's story ends. And so mm-hmm. you just see from the beginning, it's just always like the dad over the shoulder mm-hmm. and like, you know, like, ah, son, you fucking idiot. You know, like there was always this thing. And you see this whenever the dad comes in at times, he becomes this little boy that Jeremy Strong, the actor does so well. Mm -hmm. And then when the dad leaves, he can be all like the hip, like, let's get an Mm -hmm. SNL writer. And and that's the thing is you're like, damn. I mean, I I almost screamed in the season finale because there was that moment where you thought everything was going to work out in the TV Mm -hmm. way that he was going to get the company. And there's always going to be that part of me that wants that for him, even Mm -hmm. though he's a dick too. They're all yes. people, you know? Yes, yes. It's it's funny. I don't clock Kendall's awfulness as much as I clock the others because they really presented him to me as like the little puppy that you're like, just let him have it. Just yeah. let him have it, damn well, it. He tries would- so hard. He works his ass off. I was struck with that we see all the same things in this episode, even between uh, the relationship between uh, uh, Kendall and uh, uh, Culkin. Cul- what's uh, uh-huh. blanket on the name? 
Roman, yes, yeah, our Kindle and Roman, they have that same relationship where they're they're working together like they do at the end of the fourth season of like, oh, are you okay? Okay, you're, you're doing this. We got this. And you just see that this has always been their pattern. This has always been their pattern of trying to make a name for themselves, self-destructing on each other as a family, and then uh, finding a way back together as a fan i mean like it's it's really yeah. bizarre to to see that right there in that first you know the first season it's the same thing yeah i know it's like they already had this step there's the parallels of when logan has a heart attack to when logan actually passes like the way the characters dealt with the heart attack almost connects completely to the end which obviously yeah. they did yeah they, they knew what they were doing they're they're yeah. very intelligent writers uh but another thing logan has done is he's hired frank back and Roman is so pissed. Yeah, pissed. Some of this dialogue is so amazing. He's like the weasel prevails. That would be a good title for your autobiography if they made books about fucking jerks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like yeah he sells those lines so they're the lines are great but also the way he says them oh, are so he's, unique. It really is it's it's truly and the other thing I was noticing even in those scenes was there's something really um, first day of first day of school of going back and watching a, an episode of TV where you just realize even the haircuts are different, you know, like oh, cousin yeah. Greg's hair or Roman's hair or, or, you know, like Kendall's hair. And you're just like, oh, my God, it's so funny. You know, like the, the look is different each season or the look, you know, like the way they, they they're all I don't know. For some reason, that was like struck me when I was watching or like Jerry's hair in this was Jerry's different than, hair. Very different. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking of like, do we do that with our lives each year? Do we change our hairstyles? Do we grow it out a little longer? Do we you know, I was just thinking about that. That's something TV uniquely does. And even like Housewives and reality point. shows do that as well. They they always bring like, or, you know, think about Sandoval always coming in with a different look each season. Mm -hmm. But do we do that as humans? Like, even, you know, <laughs> like, is that a thing? Does that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do go through phases. I know that with like, like I have to wear, not like, I don't have to, but like, I'll just wear black shirts and bike shorts. And like, that's yeah, my, my phase. So I wonder <laughs> if like there's, if it changes, like my phases change. Like I'm trying to think back on that. Yeah, my progression of basketball shorts have really changed. Uh, exactly. Over, yeah, I really, I transform. I transform. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank, when he, so Frank, no, just another bit of dialogue I love. Frank is like, look, Logan apologized. And Roman says, sure, he didn't apologize when he hit our au pair with his car. <laughs> it was her fault for being too short, he said. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was great. <laughs> so good. Such, like the show's hysterical. And yeah, I don't remember what I I don't remember what article I read. If it was the one that was kind of, I thought it was a little vicious for Jeremy Strong. I can't remember who did it, but it was like a little not great. But whatever. In that, McCulkin uh, is is quoted as saying that at one point Jeremy Strong said to him, "Why do people keep saying this show is so funny?" And and he was like, "Cause it's a comedy. Like, what are you talking about?" But that's so perfect for Kendall yeah. to not think it's actually funny, but that's what makes it funny. Did you did you see that CBS Sunday Morning um, interview with Jeremy Strong from the? It was towards the end of uh, the finale. They did uh, a piece on him on on CBS Sunday Morning, and the interviewer takes it back to Jeremy Strong's house that he grew up in. In I don't know if it was like Jersey or something, and he's just so you know. And growing up as an actor, he's just so actory that you love it, and at the same time, you're like, <laughs> oh, this is exactly why we make fun of actors sometimes <laughs> because they're walking they're walking up to the house his house his childhood home and jeremy strong stops 
And he's just like taking it all in. And the interviewer obviously knows that like, you know, Jeremy's going through a moment and he's like, big feelings here. Big feelings, big feelings. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, and I was like, I was like, wow, I, I wish I took my life that seriously. I wish I sat there and in these moments appreciated like the, the feeling or the, you know, like not in retrospect, but like in those moments of just like, oh, my heart, you know, I can do that when I'm talking about television, but to see somebody actually be able to access their emotions in their own life with their past and their, I don't know, that to me. It's so actory. It's yeah. so, it's like actors have their moments like that for sure. But the, you know, if the work was, if the work wasn't good, it wouldn't matter, but the, his work is great. His yeah. work is great. Oh my God. Roman in the final, in the last season was so spectacular. Yeah. They, they all, they all stepped, I mean, not stepped up because they were all amazing, but they all had such good writing yeah. to, to go off of. And, and I, like, I think you, you know, I became a real geek for the making of, you know, always mm-hmm. watching those behind the scenes featurettes Love afterwards. Them. And was it Mark Mylod, the director of a lot of the episodes mm-hmm. um, and just the way he would speak about it. And, and, you know, uh, especially that the Logan death episode, you know, how they choreographed that and how they were yes. like, just doing oh one, my God, long, obsessed. one long takes and hiding camera rolls to like change out so they wouldn't have to stop the scene. Loved they were it. doing like 14 pages at a time. And for people that don't realize how TV and film like shoot, that's unheard of. So it's, you need the best of the best to be able to hit your mark and say your lines. So you do not ruin a 14 page take, you know? Mm-hmm. God, I, I love that making of. I, yeah. I I made it like my whole personality for like a whole yeah. week. I like couldn't stop talking about it. Yeah. Um, Logan's terror continues. He busts, then he busts in at one point on a meeting that's happening between Kendall and Stu. I love Stu. Any Stu yeah. sighting I'm just obsessed with. And he tells Kendall to make a business move that is clearly going to piss off Stewie, who we now know is connected to Sandy, but I don't think Kendall knows that yet, right? Wait, is this when he busts in? He's like, are you the little prick that's going to buy that? That owns (laughs) a lot of my company? Like, are you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ends the scene with that moment with, I got to piss. And that's when he goes and he pisses in Kendall's office. A through line, Ken, uh, Logan pissing. A through line, Kendall piss or Logan pissing in, a, in an area he should not. Yeah, he would. But that's also a great comedic scene later then when Jeremy Strong discovers the piss mm-hmm. and they're like, are you sure it's his piss? Are you sure it's piss? Are you sure it's his piss? And, you know, like, there's just the, <laughs> the seriousness in which they take that is just so, it's, it's just, it's high comedy. <laughs> I love the scenes with Frank and Jerry and Carl, like love, love obsessed. Can't get enough of Frank and Carl. I mean, no, truly, I mean, Frank and Carl, like for, I mean, those are so- friends, those two actors. Are they really? In real life, they've worked together Uh, for years. I I love what they imbue with those characters because on the page, you know, they got better writing as it went on, but it's very, you know, it's not tons. So what what they're able to do with that and really fit into that world. And that's why I think- you know, really good TV like Succession is, it's like an all-star baseball team or basketball team where, you know, you have these supporting players that might just come in and just hit one. Like all, all we need you to do is hit a triple, you know, and these people totally. come in and it's like, they're like assassins. They're just like, boom, boom. And you, they're not the leads, but they add, like if there was one, if there's one weak link, 
it kind of ruins the whole illusion of what they're creating. And there's just not a lot of weak links ever in succession. There's not anybody right. that's ever sticking out. That's just like, what the hell is that? Like there's usually <laughs> that in a TV show where it'll be like somebody like, can I get you another coffee, sir? Or like, you know, just succession. Right? I know, much. I know. Right. Like the bad under five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are the parts that I would get. Like those, are, I would ruin, I would ruin your show. And like, you don't have that because everybody there, I'm sure even mm -hmm. the under fives on succession were probably like Yale grads. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. This is cute. Tom is super excited for the Reckney event. And he's like, yes. I used to look through every Reckney spread in my mom's vanity fair. <laughs> that said so much about Tom. Well, yeah, Tom, Tom, you know, he's living the aspirational life that he always wanted to live. Uh -huh. And that's why you can't feel ever too bad for him in how Shiv treats him at times, because, you know, <laughs> if anything, you know, they're they're using each other and she is that stepping stool to the lifestyle that he's always dreamt of and wanted. You know, mm -hmm. that, you know, it's it's so funny that any of these people, you couldn't really tell the audience or the audience doesn't really know fully how their job works. Like I couldn't tell you how, even when Tom started, you know, went from cruise ships to ATN, you're like, how does, what does he even do? Like he just heads yes, the thing. Yes. Like, you're just, it's what's very confusing. He seems stressed. And, and uh -huh. sometimes I even, I'll even think that rich people don't work. They work, but they mm -hmm. just like to say that they, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, totally. Uh, while they're having this little cute scene where Tom is talking about his uh, love of Reckney, Roman sends Shiv this picture and then he calls her and it's a picture of her candidate's husband's asshole. And she's like, are you sure it's his asshole? And he goes, oh, because he posted it with the caption, check out my asshole. <laughs> it's just such good dialogue. <laughs> but Roman says it's dirty, it's weird, and it's evidence of precisely the kind of disgusting liberal metro butt love <laughs> that makes our viewership angry enough to buy pharmaceuticals. That is such a, like the line just keeps going. Like right when you like, that was good. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. It's almost too good for us. It's almost too smart. Yeah. That's a, I mean, it is. Yeah. That's another peek behind the curtain of how, you know, spoiler alert, how rich people think of us too. You know, <laughs> no. is that, that this is exactly, they're trying to get us angry. They're trying to, you know, everything is this game. You know, we are mm -hmm. all just little cogs in the wheel, little puzzle pieces, you know, they're, you know, they're playing a big game of risk. And so we really don't mean anything to these people, except that we are ants marching. And exactly. so those lines are so darkly comic, but you truly believe we are the laughingstock to rich people. We are those people that you know and you can look at it with the the election or with any news like news station whether it be fox or even msnbc we are it's by design to make us feel these things and that's what succession brilliantly does is you know but at the same time what i've always cracked up about is that I'll leave an episode. I'm like, oh my God, am I feeling bad for billionaires? Am I feeling bad? I am I like, I'm, I'm like, why am I, why am I feeling anything for these rotten, rotten people? But that just shows you how good, you know, how good it is of like, you know, the humanity that is still in there because you, you see how fucked up Roman is at its core, as its core. He's so oh. broken. He's oh, so yeah. broken. He's so desensitized. Every time he wants to feel something, he can't feel it. You know, every, every, like the only thing that can really get him feeling something is being a cuck or trying to make somebody uncomfortable, sending a dick pic or something, you know, like those mm -hmm. are the things that actually make him feel like sort of tethered to this earth. 
yeah, speaking of, this is where he has the girlfriend come in and she's trying to have sexy time. And he's like, see, here's the thing. There are like four bathrooms in this place and you're here in this one where I am. <laughs> Can you please fuck off? And it, it goes back to what I talked about, I think, was it last week with Kaya or the week before? Um, they really gave us like homoerotic undertones to Roman with like the trainer stretching him and it had a, it had a vibe. And then now with him not wanting his girl to touch him. And I feel like they kind of, ne they never explain what it is. And then they just make him do the weird shit with Jerry. And so I like that they actually never fully explain you or know, define Roman's issues sexually. No, I know. I think that's great. Like, once again, the audience can fill in those blanks uh -huh. in whatever sick, perverse way we want to think about it. But I think there was also a little throwaway line in the fourth season about something homoerotic in regards to... Oh, yeah. Um, Star was it with Skarsgård's character or something? I, something, it, yep. You know, or another like, rich person that yeah, like you talk like, to in a bathroom or something. What we do in kind of after hours parties or something, yes. you know, you, you picture like the whole eyes wide shut Fidelio mm -hmm. kind of <laughs> back room, you know, who knows what goes on because, yeah. you know, when you're this rich and this powerful, the only, you know, one of your greatest commodities is trying to degrade other human beings. And I think that's mm -hmm. where a lot of that lies for Roman as well. Totally. Shiv thinks she can pull rank going into ATN and telling him to take down that story of her client's husband's asshole. And Shiv gives like all the attitude. And she's like, this is actually business strategy advice. And Eva, she's like, honey, I'm having none of this. And she says, you're only here because your name matches the one carved on the building. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Give it to her. Yes. Give it to her. Because what's funny is the protagonists of the show, you like, you root for them, but you also are like, no, no, I totally get why they shouldn't get it. Like, I, I don't fully, yeah, you know I, what I mean? I think there's a fallacy with Shiv's character in, especially how she was viewed in the fourth season of, we, not that we should be rooting for her, but we should almost pity her sometimes more than we pity other characters. And I, you know, had to even have a talk with myself of like, she's just as horrible oh, yeah. as the rest of these people, just because she might be batting on your team politically mm -hmm. doesn't mean like, she's still a really, we've seen her do so many wretched things through the course of these fourth seasons. She, you know, the cheating on her, you know, like there's so many different things. So I always find it interesting and I almost find it a slight to females saying oh she's a female so we should pity her no the greatest compliment you could give shiv is hate her as hard as you hate some of these other rich people in the show <laughs> it's equal opportunity hate well that's i mean she wants to it's be treated sexist, equally she not, wants it's to be, sexist not to guys okay well that i mean she hates atn yet at the same point at the end of uh -huh. the fourth season all you can imagine yep. when she makes the decision to go back to tom is that one day she probably will be running atn mm -hmm. potentially you know mm -hmm. well she's in bed with the guy who runs it it's like regardless she's still 100 mm -hmm, yeah Greg and Tom watches the old parks guy gives his like goodbye speech. <laughs> that was so good. And Greg's <laughs> like, so Logan's here. And Tom's like, what? Oh yeah, I knew that. I did. I just couldn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, but then Bill's done and he makes his way over and they're, and here comes Tom thinking it's just going to be the run of the mill handover. <laughs> but Bill's like, Greg, you need to leave. And he locks the door, turns yeah, off us. the Wi-Fi, and prints out this thing and the acting from Matthew. He's so, he's such a comedic genius because he really infuses it so naturally and seriously into it. But as he's being told all of this stuff and Bill says, 
I can tell you everything or I cannot tell you everything. Yeah. And then you steer clear of the death pit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matthew's yeah. like, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> and so that that actor, actually, I did a Publix commercial where he played my dad uh, like 12, 13 years ago, that actor. And uh, he's truly... Uh, Wait, which one? Tom, what, Matthew McFadden or no, not Matthew McFadden. The the guy oh, that he's the, gotcha. the guy that's retiring. The guy gotcha, that's retiring gotcha, that gotcha. day. Yeah, he's and I just a like, lot. oh yeah, he's like, uh, it was one of those things where it's always funny with commercials. You'll find yourself working with like pros, and you're like eating a fake Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> like it's like you're not. There's no dialogue, and you're just enjoying your time. Oh, with the family. totally, totally. And you're just like, and then you watch somebody, and then you're like, oh my god, succession. Of course, you know, like it just always cracks me up about what actually actors go through. And then, you know, it's it's one of those things that will um, kind of take you out sometimes, just like knowing mm-hmm. a reality star will take you out of the reality of that show. Oh, totally. But it is, it's, that scene in particular, and then the scene following it with Cousin Greg is just, it's, it gets, it's laugh out. I watched that scene a couple of times just because I enjoyed it so much. Just the pacing of it, the comedy and the, you know, gives uh, Tom, that thing where he does every season of passing the buck, you know, uh-huh. of like throwing it down to Greg or throwing it. And I thought that was, it's just, he's so good at that. Yeah. When he says, I can't, I can't tell anyone about it because anyone I tell they die. And then he goes, so here you go. And hands it to Greg to open. He's like, open it. Greg's like, fuck you, man. It's so good. The crimes that were committed by these cruises. It's so hysterical. Yes. Just they, like they're up to murder. Like he's yeah. telling them like they would they'd sail to the Caribbean or South American port to minimize issues like rape, sexual assault, murder. There was also a guy who would go around asking the dancers if they would suck him off and then he would give him a contract. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, <laughs> I, 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 um, I read this book recently called Unscripted, which was about the life of Sumner Redstone, who was a billionaire that owned uh, CBS and Paramount Viacom and a bunch of other companies, amusement parks, movie theaters. And uh, this is like another person that the Brian Cox character is based around. But that book in talking about like, it's such a fascinating book because also he has like these health issues and there is like a succession element though, but it's like with two young girlfriends and his daughter it's, and this is a real life, true life story, but these, those things that they talk about, not specifically, but they, those crazy things did have like do happen all the time. And then minimizing the damage of these separate, like, you know, arms of this overall business mm-hmm. cracks me up because it, you know, it starts off with the theme parks and then we move into cruises and then we get into ATN and all of these different levels to this business and I, that's why it's like such a ripe playground because these things truly happen exactly. like this is exactly you know it's obviously we all know it's rupert murdoch but then there's also this guy sumner redstone it's such a listen to the audiobook you guys if you're looking like for a long audiobook to listen to um did you listen it, to it or did you read it i, li- I listened to the audiobook on okay, road so trips to right. arizona sumner yeah. redstone is that the name of it's it? called well, it's called unscripted but it's about sumner redstone it just came you out like really, last year you have pitched that well i am now i am now interested unscripted especially if it's going to tie into this kind of dark oh, rich it, people cover up. Cry, oh it's you'll crack up i mean it is like yeah it's called unscripted the epic battle for a media empire and the redstone Ooh. family Oh yeah. 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 yeah that's cool. I like yeah. that you can see that they are literally they're like, we didn't even really make this up, you guys. This is just what oh, rich that's why, scary billionaires do. 
that's why I was like, Jesse Armstrong, the creator of this is like, come on, man, you can do another season easily. Like, come on, like you could even just like, like put him in a bed for you. Don't give him any lines. Like, cause Sumner Redstone for the last three years of his life could barely even like eat food, you know, like, but all the people around him that just squabbling and the infighting and the, you know, the, the, I, it was just, so if you're looking for, like, if you miss succession, there are good elements to that book that will give you like fruitful imagination for another season. And then it bum us out that it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, Tom, poor thing. Tom tries to tell shit. First he tries to tell Kendall and Kendall's like, Mm, no, I think my dad would like it better if you just kept eating that shit. He loves people that do that. <laughs> yeah. And then Shiv is Shiv doesn't want to know either. Clearly, they were trained. Like their dad taught them. Like just don't even hear it. If you don't hear it, then it goes away. But Tom says he wants to hold a press conference where he will go public with it and pin on a small tight circle of naughty people. But then at the event, Jerry's going to confront him about this, and Tom Tom thinks it's Shiv. But it's actually Greg. How's it, Greg? Yeah. Greg betrays him. Which sets up a pattern of Greg betraying. Like yep. cousin Greg also, and he, you know, he's played brilliantly as well. But mm-hmm. you know, he has this pattern even in that final episode of betraying mm-hmm. um, you know, Tom. It, it is interesting, like because cousin Greg, you know, he is one of those, you know, he's so funny, but he's he's worked his way into every one of those scenarios. And by the fourth season, you know, it's just wild how he can worm his way in. He's, but he's the betray- biggest snake of all of them. He's betrayed so like he's betrayed uh, Tom again and again. Don't feel bad because Tom's a complete snake and would throw yeah. cousin Greg under the bus every time and did multiple times throughout the course of the show. Uh-huh. But it is funny that sets up the same thing he does in the final episode of the fourth season. Mm-hmm. Where you're, you're, you believe him. You're like, he wouldn't dare. He wouldn't de- dare tell. And then just Jerry goes, way to go. And he's yeah, like, I think I was, Jerry, Jerry's like, don't stop talking or something like that. Uh-huh. Keep on talking, yeah. Keep talking, baby. Uh, the scene with Frank Roman and Jerry being concerned about Logan just because he pissed in the office. The thing is, they're big investors at this thing. So Logan going and like falling asleep or tripping or something will look very bad because Logan is still, he is determined to make himself still be the man in charge. So he has some doctor come over and do one of those like rich people shots that I don't even know what's in it, but the doctor is literally like, you're supposed to have like three of these a year. And this is your third one in like two weeks. Yeah. Magic shot, magic, rich people shots. And that's how I really, I truly also imagined you know, how it is being rich and successful is that all of a sudden there are, I always used to think this as a kid with actors. Cause you would see, like, I remember like Michael Keaton when he first started and he's kind of like, you know, his hair was a little dry, kind of like, you know, a normal mm-hmm. guy. And then all of a sudden I was like, God, this, yeah, I remember as a kid going, his skin's way better. Like he's looked, looks really sharp. Like, you know, <laughs> you get, you get kind of like, and I was like, are there pills you take that? Do you get Hollywood pills? Do you mm-hmm. get like rich people things that all mm-hmm. of a sudden make you like, just do have superpowers and look better and just do everything. It's, it's so funny you said that because years and years and years ago when I was still acting, I was in, in I was in one of my classes and one of the fellow students had just worked on Charmed back when it was the three of them. And she's like, when you look at them, they're just glowing like money. Like yeah. you don't know what it is, but their their skin is just glowing. Yeah. It's like it's so buffed and polished oh. and Oh, uh, new. It's like you just, Dude, your only money does that. 
Oh my God. There was, uh, I was, uh, I'm buddies with, uh, oh, I haven't seen him, Joe Manganello uh, from like True Blood oh, and like, uh, Magic Mike. And I was, um, I was doing a podcast with him back, like way back in the day, not anything to do with reality, but about acting. And I was over at his house and he's married to Sofia Vergara. And I had never met Sofia Vergara, you know, like modern family, all that stuff. But, you know, I'm in his house for the first time and it's like just, you know, he's showing me his workout room, his trophies, <laughs> everything's like this dark mahogany man cave thing. And we're in this, you know, there's like like framed artwork of him, like muscular of on him. the wall. <laughs> and then like halfway through, we're talking and Sofia Vergara comes in with freshly baked, uh, beign made beignets. Oh. And, but the beignets, amazing. But like, I thought, you know, like Sofia Vergara, beautiful, modern family, beautiful. But I was like, oh, but I, her in person coming in just on a Tuesday, oh, yeah. I had never seen somebody look so flawless mm -hmm. on a Tuesday afternoon coming in with Ben yet. Like the skin was like mm -hmm. porcelain. I, I was shocked. I mean, I was mm -hmm. deeply in shock. And I, I mean, I think Joe kind of laughed at that because I'm sure he clocks a lot of reactions mm -hmm. like that. And she, I was just like, and she's gorgeous on the show, but I was like, how can you be more gorgeous than you are on TV? Like mm -hmm. that, it blew me away. That's a, that's something that really like, so uh, who was, who were the doctors, McSteamy and McDreamy on Grey's Anatomy? I thought you were going to like Terry Dubrow and Paul Nassif. Like, what are you, like? <laughs> you yeah, know, those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, Patrick Dempsey and, uh, um, what's his uh, name? Eric? Eric. Oh, Eric. Um, it feels like you're, that's no, that's damn it. We'll get there, but we know who I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. I thought he, he never did it for me. I was like, I don't Eric like Dane, Eric Dane. Oh, Eric thank Dane. you. Eric, Eric Dane. Dane. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't really care for him at all. I was at Jinkies in West Hollywood. This is so many years ago. And he walked in and I was like, okay, never mind. If I was like in a casting office and this guy walked in, it's like they just emit, they emit like Dude, that's, beauty that is stolen from them on the screen that when you see them in person, you're like, it's different. Like I get it. I try to explain stardom to people of like, that I worked at a spa for a long time, Burke Williams, like on oh. Sunset and Crescent Heights before it wow. closed down. And, you know, there would just be, I remember um, uh, Anne Hathaway came in one time and this was like before, I mean, she had done Princess Diaries and a bunch of stuff, but you know, you knew it was Anne Hathaway. And I thought she was in love with me. I was like, oh my God. And then I realized that's like, <laughs> I didn't that's see that the thing. That <laughs> but that's, no, that's the thing is like these stars, they just pop and they, mm -hmm. they make you believe that they're in love with you. You know, like Renee Zellweger was another one that they come in all the time. And she was just so nice and so vibrant. And, and so like you, like, you just so, knew. Yeah. It was She's just these star. stars or like being around. I remember George Clooney once, and I just oh. had never seen something that charming in my life. <laughs> I, no, I'm I a nobody. I remember working on ER coming out from like ASU for my summer breaks. And my buddy was assistant directing. And I got um, a couple of lines on ER way back in the day. And Cameron Diaz, this is such a, this is going in such a different, Cameron Diaz, before my best friend's wedding, it was like, mm -hmm. she had done a couple of things like the mask and stuff. She came into the Warner brothers studio where ER shot and said, is George here? And I was in that area. And I was like, um, no, I, no, I was like, but I knew who it was. I knew that was Cameron Diaz. And then George Clooney came and I, and I said, oh, sir, um, Cameron Diaz was looking for you. And he was like, he was like, oh, really? He's like, let's go find her. And I was like, what, why? He's like, yeah, come on. You know, what do you, what do you, and he, oh my he, God. Was, he was going to Joel Schumacher, the director's office. Yep. And I was like, she, and 
I was riding in this golf cart with George Clooney around the Warner Brothers lot. And he was like, what are you doing? Da, da, da. He was so damn charming. Like we were driving past people smiling at him, people just like, like dropping things and looking. And I just remember thinking like, wow, it can't get any cooler than this. Like he, I, he didn't know, I mean, never talked to him again after that, but for that moment, he made, you know, you feel so special. He was just so charming. That's an amazing story, Ryan. Yeah. I forgot. I forget about you for, you know, living in Hollywood, you forget about the yeah. stories that you're around because they just become part of the daily trudge. I want to tell a bad Ben Affleck story because that's, oh, that, no. this is one of my favorite stories. I was, when American Pie came out, my mom was uh, working for Universal at the time. So she got tickets to the premiere and she took me and I got to bring my friend Tyne and we, we were 16 maybe. And they had two theaters. They had one theater for like the A-list people and the B theater for like us. Uh, and my mom was in the A theater. And when we came out, she was like, because I was obsessed with Ben Affleck. Like I'm talking Armageddon had come out and I was like, this is my boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. And so my mom's like, oh my God, Emily, Ben Affleck is here. Because if you remember Casey Affleck has like a little bit part in American Pie. So it was at the Hard Rock there at Universal and it's two stories. And so all I wanted was to see Ben Affleck. And it was like, probably like comedy, if you had a bird's eye view on us, watching us go to find him, because he would always end up downstairs and we were upstairs. So hours go by, we finally bump into him because my friend is dancing. She was so cute. And she suddenly goes, oh my God, it's Ben Affleck. And he goes like this, yeah. And just turned around. And I was so disappointed. So I went and I was like, mom, Ben Affleck was so rude. And she's like, yeah, he's been getting every, like, cause they had all these like kind of porn stars there. Cause it was American pie that kind of like, and all of them were like slipping him his number, slipping him their number. And I was just like, Ben Affleck is dead to me. Okay. He's dead. We oh, broke up. Yeah. You know, that, that's why it's those star. Like my, I remember junior high, I was visiting my uncle in Glendale, California at the time. And I was from Kansas. So I was like, whole just to be in Hollywood, I was so obsessed with it. And I remember we were driving down with my dad and my uncle down Sunset Boulevard and the old Tower Records used to be there. Mm -hmm. And it was, we, Whoopi, I saw Whoopi Goldberg, who was like, uh, you recognize her immediately walking into the Tower Records down Sunset. I said, dad, we got to stop. We got to stop. And I was 13 at the time, maybe Aww. and something. And I was, uh, you know, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted mm -hmm. like, I, and uh, it was back when CDs were in the long case. You got, you kids don't even know what CDs are, but they used to be in this long case. Like it was just such a waste of paper and stuff. But I remember we'll be in there and she had a stack of CDs, mm. just huge stack. Wow. And I just remember thinking like how rich you have to be to, to buy, buy that all those CDs. Yes. And I went up and this is before cell phones and all this stuff. And I, I, and I wasn't, I didn't have a camera. I didn't have an autograph, but I said, I just said, Miss Goldberg, I'm, I'm an actor from Kansas and I'm just a huge fan of your work. And I shit you not. She looked at me, turned around and walked away. Oh, and my dad was live. My dad watched <laughs> it go down. And my dad was like, are you kidding me? And to that day, this day, I was like, Wow. And like, I, you know, like I, I was 13, I mean, I'm, I'm 13 year old Ryan. It's so like not threatening. It's so sweet. Well, I, I, I was naked, but that is, oh, no, yeah. no, it was, it really bummed me out. Like I remember going, damn, like she just flat out looked at me and turned around. I mean, it was just, oh. that blew me away. Sorry. Brutal. This has nothing to do with succession. Sorry, you guys. Yeah, we're just like reliving our, our childhood. Yeah. <laughs> like my core memory of this celebrity, yeah. you know, we got on the topic.
Uh, okay, Connor being freaked out about this event going well is so, and I actually, because I just didn't catch all the dialogue when I first watched, but it's because he had asked Logan earlier when Logan was at the office if he could start running some charity or something. <laughs> and Logan said, we'll see how tonight goes. And so now Connor is like, everything is riding on this event. And he's like freaking out about force fork placement. And then he has Will, him and Willa. Like, Willa's there, migrate. Yeah. They migrate the room because the room is lopsided. Willa's a comedy genius also. She doesn't do too much. She does just enough. Yeah, I mean, here's another example of a relationship and even in how um, Logan treats uh, Alan Ruck's character of just, it's the same thing again and again. It is interesting, these patterns that keep repeating themselves each season, yeah. even though each one of them is amazing. It is interesting to go back and go, oh, you know, here's another thing of Alan Ruck asking for something of like, you know, you know, Connor, you know, wanting something, needing something for his dad to give him a little piece, a little taste. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that thing keeps repeating itself season in, season out, which you imagine it has for this guy's whole life. And that's why, you know, it's like these guys, it's so funny. And at the same time, it's so heartbreaking, you know, just the, yeah. the amount that they need their dad to get, you know, yes. put a little light on them. And he's just the, of all the dads to want any affection from. It's like, it's just, you're always on a quest for something you'll never get. Um, and they're always trying to one up each other. So when Connor's reviewing the speech, uh, <laughs> but then that's when Connor sees the surprise Logan retirement announcement on the prompter and he runs over and he tells Logan. So then Logan says, change of plans. I'm speaking instead of Kendall. You're like, poor little Kendall. He's been working on his speech. I think SNL wrote a joke for him. Kendall, I mean, that's another thing that keeps repeating itself of Kendall wanting to publicly speak, yes. whether it be L to the OG, whether, and then finally in the fourth season, he gets a win where he's able yes. to kind of like do a good presentation even mm -hmm. after the tweet gets sent out from uh, Skarsgård's character. Dude, while and he's, he's on the stage. Yeah, and he's actually able to handle that. You know, he's actually mm -hmm. able to, but there is something about him of wanting, wanting him, he wants to put himself in these positions of being seen of like, let yes, me totally. throw me the ball. I got it. I can do it. And yeah. one of the great things about succession is that they would always take it away from him. Mm -hmm. They would always promise the things or take it away. Or that when they did give it to him, it would be such a flop. It would be so like L to the OG. So, so cringe. And uh, it's very God, interesting. L to like, the OG is, is so iconic. It's so it's, iconic. Did you watch the making of or behind the scenes on that one? No, I didn't know. Um, they talk about how they didn't, no one else heard the rap. Like none of the actors had heard it prior to the actual shooting day. So a lot of their reactions are genuine reactions. <laughs> <laughs> and then even, even the director was like, you know, you want it to, you want it to be so like embarrassing, but also it's kind of good. And you're like, yeah, it is a little good. <laughs> As an actor, you've got to try to make it good, you know, because- yes most likely Jeremy Strong would not be a good, you know, hip hop artist regardless. So you can't try to make that bad. It's like playing drunk. You would do too exactly. much. Exactly. You, know? you would take it too far. It's already in the writing. Just trust, trust yeah. the material. And that's like all of the actors across the board. They trust enough in the material and they live enough in the characters that no one's pushing the comedy. It just ends up happening. That's the and only way for comedy to work. And the production trusts the actors enough as well to, totally. okay, they've got this, they can do, you know, and when I did start watching those behind the scenes featurettes in the last season, you know, they were talking about that funeral scene, another scene where they were like tied on time. Yeah. And they just said, listen, we had cameras everywhere, you know, just 
just be, you know, what you'll, you'll do what a it. Dream. We'll it. Yeah. What a dream. Cause for film acting, you just, it's so, so it's you like picking up a glass and putting it down. That's your day of work. But for them to be able to go to these emotional places and know that it wasn't going to be chopped up and they could just run, go, it's almost like theater. It's almost like performing yeah. theater. It's so, it's so yeah. fun. Connor, he's talking to Logan and he notices that the the bread is breaking when they try to butter their bread. And he goes into that kitchen and he's like, there's dinner rolls ripping out there as we speak. And then the event planner <laughs> comes in and he calls her complicit. You're fired. Jerry pulls Tom aside to talk about the press conference. And Jerry's like, now is not the time to pull your dickie out and be like, hey, I cannot <laughs> tell a lie. And then she tells a story about the sin cake eater. And he was very well paid. And you get a lot of cake. Rich people in a nutshell. Like when you think of a big, big company, there is absolutely the guy or the woman, whoever, who has to just know all the secrets and keep it under wraps and don't let it go to the big guy. Well, yeah. And also like, at the, you know, Frank and Carl, they're all trying to get their in game, their, their mm -hmm. retirement, the retirement packages. And so like, we all have those kind of jobs of like, okay, this is shit, but I want to get my bonus. I want to get my, you know, just keep your head down and just get through it. You know, do what needs to be done at the end of the day. This doesn't define you even, you know, but it is funny how those kind of attitudes, you know, you want, I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's, it, it's like Sisyphus pushing a rock up a hill. Like it continually falls down. They continue to push mm -hmm. it up. And, you know, it's, you imagine if Logan hadn't have died, they would have been doing this up until the day he died, you know? Oh yeah. They, he did. They did do this until the day they he died. did it up until the day he died. Absolutely. Yeah. When Tom confronts Greg, I mean, Greg evolved. He, you know, I think what you didn't, you don't realize about Greg because he starts off as the poor person. So you feel like, Oh, this is a guy I can relate to. And then when I was starting to think back during the end of last, this last season, I was like, Greg is actually such a little fucking piece of shit. He's like the he's the worst one almost because he doesn't have any talent to be where he's at. Like at least with Tom, Tom's been willing to be the lack. He was willing to go to prison. He was willing to put in the work. Greg has really gotten the smoothest fucking ride throughout this whole thing. Maybe he's the biggest genius of all of them at the end of the well, day. I also think though that's why Tom continually has Greg around just because I think Tom sees a lot of himself in Greg and oh, just yeah. the sense of they were the, you know, not the millionaire family, billionaire family, you know, or like, you know, there is this thing of mm -hmm. we're from this outside world and we want to get to this place. And, you know, cousin Greg lets uh, Tom believe that he can be the puppet master. Yes. You know, like the Tom's the puppet master, you know, like he he really feeds into that ego uh, that that Tom wants that the whole family gets from the whole world. But then people like Tom don't Tom's shit on by, you know, all of these people. So if you can have a cousin Greg or two yep. in your corner yep. to be able to shit on, that's mm -hmm. such a huge, important role. Oh, absolutely. And in this, what ends up happening is Tom thinks Shiv ratted him out to Jerry. So it adds another layer to their relationship that actually isn't even accurate. So yeah. I didn't even put that together until I rewatched again. Roman yeah. goes over to Logan to be like, so Frank, huh? You know, maybe we can get rid of the old Frank because it worked last time. 
he's like, what exactly is Frank to me? And it's, the titles are so funny, vice chairman and general advisor. I'm like, of what? <laughs> what, are, what are they? I don't even know what they're on right now. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. But Logan's yeah. like, you need to learn from Frank. And Roman's like, oh, okay, I got to learn from Frank. And so Logan does this awesome thing where he busts him and he asks about the park numbers. And Roman's like, uh, yeah, Tom's an idiot. I, he just blames it on Tom, which is then how you just see, I just keeps trickling down. But that's when he's like, yeah. all right, fine. I'll go learn, learn from Frank. And Connor walks over and he's like, sorry about the butter guys. <laughs> I love his obsession with it. This was good comedy beats. Logan goes, there was a problem with the butter and Marsha goes frozen. So it was a tragedy. It was, Connor was right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The butter wasn't warm enough. The butter wasn't, we have bread breaking out there. Roman, Roman, okay. There's the guy, the waiter that's talking to his girl and he does this really creepy, like rich person, I can control you thing where he's like, why don't you ask for her number then? And then makes her write the number down. What's interesting is that later when the guy, like was the plan when he calls, I will put it on your pussy so we can like get it on. Like it was such a weird, like the end, the end game with it. I'm like, was that the goal or was it just to see it happen? I think there's, I mean, it's twisted, but that's it. The the deviancy that I think this, that's the only way Roman can get off, Yeah, you know, is, is, you know, now you've got other people's, you, you know, emotion, you've made this guy feel like shit yeah. and you've made her, you know, and then you're, you know, that's probably the only way that he's truly able to get gratification <laughs> totally. is by humiliation and, and things, <laughs> like you know, the it, layers so, of that just to do which, that. Yeah. Cause you see that in the final scene when he does, you know, when she's on the phone and he comes in and, and it's just, you know, there's so many layers to that. Mm-hmm. Connor tells Kendall that Logan is speaking in his place. And obviously Kendall freaks out. He pulls Jerry aside and he's like, did you know this? Did you know this was happening? And he tells her to go, to go talk to him. She goes, totally. Yeah. Okay. And then she just walks over and goes, good luck tonight. You're going to knock it out of the park. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then she looks over at Kendall, like I tried, I tried. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> she knew better. Dude, Connor has the cringiest moment where he's talking to the dancer backstage and he actually sa- he actually says he also understands because people have preconceived notions about me too. <laughs> <laughs> then he goes, it's hard, but like not as hard as everything is for you. I was like, just stop. It's so bad. It's so Connor. Well, I think Connor also probably got a lot out of the movie Pretty Woman. You know, he like fancies himself a Richard Gere type character yep. of like, you know, like, listen, I'm Willa, you know, a hooker with a heart of gold. Like there's a, <laughs> you know, there's this kind of thing of like, I I understand I'm not one of these upper crust that would look down on you for any of, you know, it's very, it's so demeaning in itself. It's so bad. So the Alvin Ailey performance happens. I love Roman's face. It's like, what is this? Like, he's such an asshole. There's this little moment from Frank. And I like that they pepper this in with Frank because Frank doesn't do a ton, but he does feel like a paternal figure in their lives because he goes over to Connor and he goes, best event of the fall. 
And he really means it. And Connor gets so excited that he, that's when he goes into the kitchen. He's like, we did it. Fuck yeah. Best, best event ever. And I, I like that Frank has that. Like he has it for Kendall too. Like he gives well, yeah, Frank will say bad things in the, yeah. In the words he'll, he'll always, uh, in the dialogue, he'll always be like, Hey kid. Like he'll say things mm-hmm. like kid and he'll say things like, listen, son, you know, like he'll actually say these really familiar terms, but it's not in an asshole way. You actually believe it. There's a lot of scenes mm-hmm. in the fourth season, uh, especially when they're going over like the, 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 the writing of Logan of like who should take over the company. Mm-hmm. He brings Kendall in first. And I think he's like, listen, son, he always loved you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like when Ken, oh God, it's so, it's so perfect when Kendall calls Frank when they're on the plane and he's like, I want to talk to the pilot and Frank, he just like hits the wall. Yeah. Cause he's like, I've had to do this with this kid yeah, for fucking ever. <laughs> like, sorry. He goes, sorry, sorry, Kendall, but he's flying the plane. Like, oh, like, he's like, yeah. I'm so sorry. The, the the pilot's busy. Can't give you what you want. It's like, he took on that. That was part of Frank's role in the business for, for Kendall, at least. And then of course, Roman hates him, which is such a great little icing on top. Cause Roman yeah. would hate Roman. Roman doesn't want to do business. All right. Logan's speech. <laughs> he can barely get to the damn stage. So it's terrifying because Marsha's helping him. He barely makes it. But as soon as he starts talking, he's much more with it. And he starts so slowly, like I get chills even thinking about it because he goes, someone took advantage of me being in the hospital to propose. And you're like, oh my God, he's about to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. he goes to my daughter, please welcome Tom <laughs> Wamsgans to the family. I'm like, oh, he knows how to fuck with us. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. Then he has like a little moment where he, he gets like fake choked up and he's like, everything I've done, I've done for my children. And I'm proud of how they pulled together for this, especially my son, Kendall. Well done, Kendall. And you're like, oh, this is so creepy. And then he goes as one last announcement. I am officially announcing I'm back. Standing ovation. And then he goes to Marsha, get me out of here. <laughs> it's great. It's so yeah, good. I mean, it's great. It's so great. Good. It's like just the the ups and downs, the roller coaster that each episode is. The mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's really just great. I mean, I, there's that. I wish I had a better vocabulary to speak about like the the the, the heights of these shows, you know, and yeah. that uh, the, there's just not so many. You know, even what like I just I love it though that when I watched it the first time, I just didn't appreciate it the way I can appreciate it now. Yeah. And I always wonder what that really is and what that is about the human mind and when it attaches to something and assigns meaning to it. I think that's such an interesting thing to study of what, and then, you know, on succession, it, it meant so much to so many people, you know, uh, that it's interesting when things like that cultural phenomenons happen with a, a piece of art. You know, because then yeah. it means something to so many different people and to hear their perspectives on it, you know, is always just fascinating. Totally. The episode ends so perfectly with Marsha. Logan's fallen asleep in the car and she says, keep driving. I want him to sleep. And I'm like, oh, that bitch is going to just sit in the car. Sto- oh, she's not even going to be on her phone. She's going to stare straight for a couple hours and let Logan sleep because she's, I swear, like knows how to torture people. So she knows what she's doing. She's like, I will get him back to health. I yeah. know what to do. Which is funny then when you see how Marsha ends in the fourth season or, mm-hmm. you know, like how that, and, and it, you know, very powerful scene at the funeral. I with love all of it. The other, other, other women show up that have yeah. been a part of, uh, 
Logan's life and stuff like that. You know, like this is my, this was my Marsha or this was my really great. Yeah. This was my Marsha. It's so good. All right. Well, that wraps us up then. Thank you, Ryan. Well, I hope the, uh, I hope the fifth season's good whenever that comes out. (laughs) I do the way I really still do. I mean, like you could spin this off. Like, are you easily? And that's what I hope. I hope that Jesse Armstrong, the guy who created this show, I hope his next project fails so horribly that the only, (laughs) the only thing he could possibly do is, you know what? We there is an idea. Like if we followed ATN and Shiv, you know, we really wouldn't be Shiv so much. But what if we followed? To, like if, if I want him to fail so badly that the only way to redeem himself in his own eyes is to come back to what his greatest <laughs> success was. Because if you follow history, that I'm just I'm reading a book about um, action heroes right now, and Sylvester Stallone never wanted to go back to Rocky. You know, after Rocky mm. won, he wanted to try, and then he had three bombs in a row. Like he had three bombs, mm. and then he was like. You know what, Rocky? Rocky oh, so that's why another, you're like, I want Jesse Armstrong to there's fail. a Rocky. Yeah, because <laughs> you need because they do, they don't think it at the time, but they they it's gotta feel pretty damn good to be told how amazing you are so often. Mm-hmm. And as much as it's probably a hindrance on everything of your personal growth and your art, it's gotta feel <laughs> really good that when your next project happens. And even like Larry David, even after Seinfeld did a horrible ABC sitcom, I oh, remember yeah. that he wrote, I think it was like Steven Weber. Maybe. I'm not trying to remember, but it was Jennifer Gray was in it. I know. And oh it my was God, horrible. that's right. It was horrible. And then Curb Your Enthusiasm happened. But I was like, that one thing, if you get a failure after a great success, it's a real probably Ooh. come to Jesus moment sure, of, right? I don't want to... It took so long to get here. Yes. I mean, obviously not normal. Normal people shouldn't be thinking this way, but Hollywood always does these kind of things to you in terms of any form of art. It's yeah. like, you know, Vander, I mean, listen, it's a way it's like, even takes like you, it's like, Oh, talk about Vanderpump rules or talk about housewives. Like that's where mm-hmm. we, we want you to do that. When you try to go a little to the left of like, well, I want to talk about all this stuff. It yep. takes a while to get people it's to, over there, over, over to the there. New place. You know? yes, it's really, it's, so it's really true. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had an, I think I've told this story about a hundred times on the pod, but I had an acting coach say, don't be afraid of typecasting because the second part of that word is cast. Yeah, yes, it was booked. Yes. Like, I mean, yeah. Cause I, you know, we were such assholes in acting class. I was like, I don't want to be typecast. And he's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? You have no idea how hard it's going to be for you to get one job. You should oh. be so lucky to be typecast. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to work as an actor in any type? But like the, that's what I kept thinking of these you know, the final episode, you know, just on the characters alone, but then you start thinking about pulling out and looking at the actors. Like a lot of these, some like 50 to 60% of the actors in succession will never do something as good or culturally relevant as succession for the rest of their lives. No matter how much you love them on this show, it is like, think about everything that you've loved and think about, think about friends, think about Seinfeld, think about, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, think about six feet under, think about, think about, mm-hmm. any, think about Sopranos, think about like, Band you know, of brothers. Dick, James Gandolfini, when he was even alive, what he did after The Sopranos, like, think about those things and just realize that you are potentially seeing them at their best moments in their career. Mm-hmm. And that's only dictated by the scripts, the work, the the amount of work that goes in behind all of these things. Yes. And for it all to come together on this show, Succession, so many things have to go right. Yes. But just 
it's not going to be like that for them. And they know that there's our interviews. I mean, with the, the, with uh, Culkin that he's talking about, you know, like he knows he's mm-hmm. been working since he was a kid. He knows. Yeah, he knows. He how totally rare. knows. Sarah Snook was just getting into that. You know, like this is so rare to be mm-hmm. able to work at this level with every, mm-hmm. all the guns firing, not just actors, writers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like this, even the Crew, extras casting, the, the lighting, everything is so on point, which by the way, we don't get to talk about, but you were, you're covering Yellow Jackets as well, which that my big argument is in the second season of Yellow Jackets, good acting but they don't have that level of succession exactly they don't have you don't believe they're in the snow you don't believe because they you know but you know if that was hbo's budgets or something you would feel that snow Mm -hmm. you would it wouldn't be some like cabin that's lightly dusted with paper mache snow it would be snow like it would be and that's something that i think you know these big i don't know so it's it's interesting to compare those two shows especially because they're very unique but yeah you know different in terms of quality uh once you hit the second season of yellow jackets it is true that you are watching the peak though of their career i was i i was so obsessed with band of brothers back in the day and i watched a special and a lot of those actors you would recognize a lot of those actors yeah. from things but band they all knew this is the fucking best job we're ever gonna have because at one point they got steven spielberg directing them or tom hanks directing them they're like this isn't gonna happen like we're very fortunate yeah, I went back I mean, and rewatched that recently, and I was like, "This doesn't hold up as much as I thought it would." Yeah, I watched that a while. I remember like getting that from Netflix for the first time because I didn't have HBO and watching it, and you know, like all those actors popping up, including um, uh, what's his name from that went on to do uh, uh, Billions and uh, the Red Hair. Oh, the, oh, um, the, I love him, um, uh, Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis, yeah, from Homeland and stuff like that. Like he, you know, all of these people pop up and and you know, all of Spielberg's, especially his war stuff, like Saving Private Ryan, you, you know, you had Vin Diesel in one of his first roles. You had all of these oh, people right. kind of just like popping in and out. I think, was it Vince Vaughn in that as well? Or like a small, you had all these yeah. little small wow. kind point. of peppering of these and Spielberg especially and Hanks as well was so good at really finding the cream of the crop. Cream of the crop, but also getting an opportunity like that almost... Uh, assures you that you will have some sort of career after this. So uh-huh. what Succession did assured that these people will all have careers after this, yes. but it doesn't mean the quality of career. It doesn't mean the writing is going to be mm-hmm. the same. It doesn't mean, you know, like Michael C. Hall after Six Feet Under was lucky enough to go be and do Dexter, which was a yeah. weird hit out of left yeah. field. But then Peter Krause, I went, remember, went and did an ABC hour-long Dirty Sexy Money, which lasted only one season. Like oh, yeah. there's- you know, it's like these people that you're just like, oh, you, you can't get better than this as an actor. And then you put them in another thing that's not the thing that you love mm-hmm. them for. Mm-hmm. And you realize that's when you realize how tough this industry truly is. Yeah. Yeah. Or the opposite where how versatile an actor is, like where everything they do ends up have ends up having like a trajectory. Rest in peace. But Philip Seymour Hoffman is that. To me. Philip Seymour Hoffman will always be this is so egotistic, one of my greatest tragedies because Philip Seymour Hoffman was that guy for me in high school that I was like, I could never be the Brad Pitt, but what if I could be a Philip? Like a oh, Philip, cool. Philip Seymour Hoffman was such an amazing actor. The talent he had, even just mm-hmm. watch, you know, guys go back and watch Boogie Nights and he plays, oh my character. God. Oh. you know, he plays this really just this, yeah, well, I'm blanking on the character name, but he's just, 
he's another one of those things of like a Carl or a Frank. He's like set dressing, but at the same time, he's so committed mm -hmm. to this role. His belly's sticking out. He mm -hmm. doesn't care about looking stupid. Oh, uh, Scotty. I think it's Scotty. Is it it's Scotty? Yeah. And he I just, honestly could not tell you. He's so good in it. He feels yeah. you just are drawn to him in every scene because he never has a false moment. And then to take that from like Magnolia, to take that from like all of these just Even his little bit part in Almost Famous. Oh, where it was so I mean, the, the, the birth, like you know, the the uncool. Like I, I played mm -hmm. that clip from Almost Famous. All I have a framed picture of Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie. Uh, playing Lester Bangs. And like um, one of the other things that like, I never got to see him do his death of a salesman, Willie Loman on Broadway, oh, which, I, yeah. which I heard was magnificent. Yeah. Which I heard was insane. He also did uh true West, the Sam Shepard play with John C. Riley, And they would switch. <gasps> oh off my roles. God. I forgot about that. They, they would switch off roles oh, every other that. night. They That's would. So I, I just, cool. But he was such an actor and he was mm -hmm. so and it would have been so nice to see how he, because we saw him in like the master and things where he was starting to age, but man, mm -hmm. like I would have loved to have seen him get into his fifties and his sixties and his seventies. Yes. Just imagine Philip Seymour Hoffman in his seventies. Like, I mean, that's, you know, being able, I, uh, and that, ugh, what a tragedy. I know? know what a bummer note I ended us on. Uh, let's yeah, that up. Ryan, go, why don't you tell the people where they could find you? <laughs> uh, listen, no, I, yeah, it's called so bad. It's good. Yeah. It's if you, if you listen to her show, you probably know my show. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, I totally get it, but try it again sometime. <laughs> Who knows? No, like, listen, I mean, like this, I, I, I talk about these things because I truly love them. And that's why yeah. it's a joy to come on these shows. Um, and talk about something that I truly, truly love, because this is what it's all about, is something that you're passionate about, something that th this kind of stuff that, man, it's like, this is truly great to geek out on. And I was talking about this with Kendrick, I think, you know, it just is... Um, is that we're versatile. The Bravo audience is versatile, yes, baby. Like we, it's not like we just love, like we love good stuff. Love we're very, all. we have high IQs. We are, we are yeah. very decently <laughs> yeah. educated, smart people. And so we, we can, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So don't ever, us. don't ever think you can only watch this and not be able to appreciate this. It's all within your grasp. And that's TV is this great uh, unifier in this day and age, you know? And you're watching Love Island. Yeah, love it, love it, love it. Love now, it. have you been a Love Island fan? Just started last last year was my okay. first season, and before that, I didn't think I had it in me. Yeah, and it's one of those kind of like like I said at the beginning, like Succession. First week of episodes, you'll hate it. You you won't like it. You yes. will say this is a waste of time. And then like like towards the second or third week, you're second like, oh, third. can't wait, can't wait. Got to find out. It's it just grabs you at some point, and it's. Yeah like that thing in a book when you finally it becomes easy to read it it's it becomes so easy to watch mm -hmm. and so it's all it needs is just it, it shows you how little you actually need to make a show you just need relationship and uh, relationship and a setting and that's it yeah totally yeah all right guys thank you so much for joining us for this little trip down memory lane uh love you guys mean it and i will see you next time bye bye Thank you guys so much for listening to She Speaks It All, a podcast from the creator and host of She Speaks Bravo in partnership with Cloud10 Media. Make sure you are following She Speaks It All pod on Instagram and TikTok. And of course, make sure you are subscribed or following this podcast. Hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. And if you want to support me, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash she speaks bravo and buy me a coffee or two or five.
Thanks, you guys. See you next time.